The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. We're going to be going over the Apostles' Creed, but uh, before that, if you guys want to grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, that's where we're going to be at tonight, and if you don't have a Bible, yeah, he's already got the right idea, if you don't have a Bible, um, I have a couple, I'd love to hand them out, if you need one, you don't have one, but you like a paper Bible, uh, that is yours now, a gift from Evangel Temple, and I would just encourage you uh, and everyone here that to continue bringing your Bibles. That's huge to where you can, uh, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen, but it's always important to do that. So Isaiah chapter 40. But before we look at Isaiah chapter 40, um, we just started last week in this, this message uh, series, the Apostles' Creed, what we believe. It's just a, a long belief statement. We read it last week, and I'm going to invite you guys this week to read it along with me in just a minute. But what we're doing really, what the intention of this is, is... Um, not to preach the Apostles' Creed. I, I told you guys last week that, that I will not be preaching the Apostles' Creed, that uh, you won't ever have anything except for Scripture to be preached up here. And so uh, what are we doing then? Well, really what the Apostles' Creed is doing for us is kind of a framework, if you will, kind of a, a template of we're just going phrase by phrase and just looking at what does this mean. And so last week we looked at literally the first three words there, I believe in, and really it was just a setting up for the rest of this series of just what does it mean to believe in the words that follow. Really what the Apostles' Creed does, I think it does a couple things, but first off, uh, it really unifies God's people. God's people are brought together that we are much bigger than just uh, this church or just bigger than Springfield or uh, the United States. It is a global thing that anyone that can profess these words to be true in their hearts, then they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so really, this unifies people and it also eradicates or it get, gets rid of bad belief. That this is kind of a, a standard to where um, it keeps us in knowing what's true, that this is reflective of of. of scripture and the gospel that we read. And so that is why we're looking at it tonight. It's been quoted well over a thousand years now from believers uh, well before us. And so we just join in them in saying this statement as believers and just um, knowing that it's true in our lives. And so we're going to be looking at what that means. So uh, with that being said, if you guys would just um, join with me in reading this, you don't have to stand or anything, but um, We're going to see how well we are with teamwork here, okay? Can you guys do it? So let's start. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Whichever. Um, Thank you, guys. And so, yeah, there will be a couple uh, interesting weeks there that uh, will be fun to talk about. Um, Descended into hell is one. What is, uh, where did that phrase come from? 
Has it been there since the very beginning of the Apostles' Creed? Um, I can already answer no, but we will, we will get into talking about that. I don't want to steal any thunder from that week. Um, and then also, what is to say the Holy Catholic Church? We're not Catholic. So uh, <laughs> I just want to say that that is um, really Catholic there. It's just a synonym for, for um, unified that when we say that we're the Catholic Church, it means that we're the, the, the whole church. The, everyone that professes Jesus to be uh, Lord and Savior, that we are the Catholic or unified church. It doesn't mean Catholic in what you're thinking, Catholic. Um, so, so like I said before, we, we went over I believe in last week. And so now this week, we're going to be looking at the next couple words. God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And really, I want to be addressing the question of how big is our God? How big is our God? And really, that question kind of is, is twofold. It's two parts. That one, really, we're going to look at in scriptures, how big does it say God is? That is God, the, incom- the incomprehensible uh, aspect of God, he's, he's um, beyond understanding how large he is, right? So we're going to be looking at how big is our God, but then also we're going to be looking at the aspect of how big is God in our hearts and in our minds, and how big do we really make God in our lives as we live day in and day out? Are we really trusting in God uh, that we see in the Bible, the, the, the God that is um, bigger than, than life? Is God really that big, and are we really treating him to be that big uh, in our hearts? And so we're going to be asking that question, how big um, are you allowing God to be? Not that you can control how, God, how big God is, really, but um, how, how big are you trusting that God is in your heart is, is what we're going to be looking at. So uh, I couldn't help, but uh, when, when prepping for this and just going over, you know, what am I going to be talking about? I couldn't help but reminisce a little bit uh, and, and look back to a really fun time in my life. Uh, if you guys can see here, um, this is not just me. That is me here on the left, okay? The farthest person uh, right there, that is me. But then also, please do not miss out. That is Sarah. Um, yeah. I'm up way up there, that guy, um, okay? But then Sarah, don't miss out on Sarah, okay? Um, so I'm super proud of that. Um, and we are doing fine arts, human video. God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is... Who would have thunk that VeggieTales would have had deep theology, right? Uh, so God is bigger than the boogeyman. And um, yeah, couples that stay together do fine arts together. Hashtag. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But anyway, God is bigger than the boogeyman. Deep theology, huh? God is bigger than our deepest fears, our greatest anxieties, everything that uh, really just freezes us up and terrifies us. God is bigger than that. And um, Larry, and I don't remember the tomato's name, but Bob, oh, I about got booed off the stage because I didn't remember Bob's name. <laughs> they had some serious, uh, serious thoughts there that really can make you think. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Um, really, this idea of how big God is, is a question that really was being asked in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, if you guys have already turned there, like I said, uh, we'll be in, and we're going to read it in just a minute. Isaiah chapter 40, these people really had to ask the question, how, how big was God to these people? They, uh, to give a little bit of context before we read, 
Israel at this time were, was, was in captivity under the reign of Babylon. Babylon had taken them captive. They are now slaves in Babylon, and they had no rights. They had no freedom. They were slaves in, a, in another nation. And so uh, when they get to Isaiah chapter 40, they're probably thinking, what in the world? What does God have planned? Because I know in Isaiah chapter 9, God spoke to us and he said that the nations would be unified. And then Isaiah chapter 11, he says that God's people would be, um, would be lifted high and that we would have a huge promise and we would be uh, reigning with God. And so where are these promises? Isaiah chapter 40, they are here imprisoned. And so really, I'm sure that they're asking, is God really that big? They, they kind of come to a, um, identity crisis. Either, either what they were told in the past, Isaiah 9, 11, and all before that, um, was either a lie and that God really isn't as big as he says, God really won't give him the promises that he says, or really the perspective of how big God is and his um, plans are so much bigger than really what they can see in their perspective, that the horrible uh, situation that they're in right now, the, the lack of hope, their hopelessness that they're in right now, the, the horrible situation that they're in, they just can't zoom out and see really God's great narrative, God's great plan, that those promises will still come about, and that this is just a small chapter in a larger book. And so really they had to question how big are we trusting God is? Or are we putting him in the confinements of well, God must have been lying because right now we're not reigning with God. We're not, you know, the nations aren't unified. We're oppressed by another nation. And so they were really having to ask, how big is God for us? And that's a hopeless state. They were, they were deeply hopeless and in despair. And God comes to them and comforts them like the amazing God that we have. He comes to them in, in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 1. I know that's not up, what's up there. But in Isaiah, he opens up in, verse, in chapter 40 with verse 1, and he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. He wants to show comfort to the people of God. He wants to show them that, yes, you are going through a really tough time right now, but let me show you there's so much bigger things going on. And so this entire chapter, chapter 40, is way too long for us to look at in just a small period of time. But... The entire thing is just stretched out this theme of God comforting his people in hard times. He's showing that he's much bigger than what you see in front of you right now. And so that is the, uh, the background of this chapter. And so as we look at starting in verse 12, uh, this, is, this is the background of what God's saying. He's showing his people comfort, saying, I'm so much bigger than what you can imagine. And so um, let me read in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man really shows God counsel? Whom does he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught God knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Our God is a big God. Who's all been to the ocean before? Anyone ever been to the ocean? 
So you can just imagine while you're standing on the side of the ocean looking out, that really makes you kind of feel small, doesn't it? Like just looking, it's like you can't see the end of the ocean and you know that's only one of so many just bodies of water that are just huger than, like we can't even see the ends of it. And we read here that God can hold all the water that this earth has in the cup of his hand. God is huge. It says that he can measure the heavens. In, in, this, in this text, it's saying the heavens, but really in their mind is, is the cosmos, the, the universe, the, scar, the stars and the skies, everything that we can now see in telescope and past and beyond. What the cosmos is, is the heavens. And, he said, and, they, and the author here says that God can measure that with the span of his hand. That is from his thumb to his finger. God can measure all of that. It says that God is, no one can teach God, no one can show God understanding, right? God knows all things. And then it says the nations, that is in the context here, the nations that were oppressing Israel, the nations that were making Israel feel like they had no hope, God says those nations are but like a drop on the side of a bucket to me. He's bigger than our problems any of our shortcomings, any issues that we go through, God, it's like a drop on the side of a bucket to him. How amazing is that? God is bigger than we could ever imagine. That is an amazing comfort that he gives the people of Israel. And I think it's a comfort for us today that God is bigger than we could ever imagine. He's bigger than any issue we will ever face. But really, I think that's kind of great in theory. But it's, it's so much harder in life application, right? To think of how big God is, is really great in theory. But in, in life practice, in, in putting that into practice of how you live and trusting God, it is so much harder to really put into perspective, God is bigger than any of our problems, right? For me, I know whenever I was in high school, um, I could read this text and I could say, yeah, God is, is bigger than anything else that I will ever face. Yet I still had to read uh, books like When People Are Big and God is Small because I was so enslaved by what people thought about me. I cared so deeply about people's opinions that it really ruled my, my life. And I cared so much about their opinions that making them happy, making them proud particular people, but then just really people in general. I really didn't want to let anybody down. I couldn't ever say no to anybody because I cared too deeply what they thought about me. So I could say God is huge, but then yet my identity really I found in, in what other people thought of me so much more than what God tells me who I am. God really wasn't this huge God in my mind. Really, other people were so much bigger in my mind. Maybe you can Maybe you can read that God can hold all the water in this earth in just the cup of his palm, but yet he's still number two in your daily living. He takes the back burner and how you live, right, and what you think about. Maybe he, he takes uh, second place or even uh, third or fourth, or maybe he's not even on the list. Uh, you can say that he measures the, the, the span of uh, everything, the, the cosmos, the universe with his, with his hand, and yet... Maybe he's not even a, a, a fleeting thought in your daily life. We can say God is huge, right? But it's really hard sometimes to put that into practical living. I think this is one thing that all of us kind of have to face is um, we can say God, God knows all things, right? That God uh, is without um, 
needing anyone to ever tell him anything. He, he, he knows all things, yet we are constantly asking God, what in the world, God, do you not see what I'm going through? God, do you not understand? What do you get? Do you have to, like, as, as, in we, as if we have to wake God up, right? Yet, really, he's standing there saying, oh, are you talking about that drop on the side of the bucket? You're talking about that, that one little thing compared to me? That's like a drop on the side of the bucket, that problem that you're going through? Are you talking about that? And that's not to say that, that God makes small and doesn't care about our issues. That, that is not. Um, actually, we're going to be looking here in just a second about how he does deeply care about the issues that we're going through, the things that we feel that are enslaving us, like Israel with the nations. That he, He's not making small of those things. Like he doesn't, like, oh, pfft, like that's nothing. No, but he's saying in in comparison to who I am, to what I can do, to whenever you trust in me, that, that what I'm capable of, they really are nothing. But yet we still see that if it's a big deal to us, then it is a big deal to God. I think this can really speak one of two ways to us, that whenever you're sitting here and you're thinking about this, of how huge God is and how um, impossibly stretched out God, God knows all things and he's, and he's bigger than we can ever imagine, really I think one of two thoughts can come to your mind. Either one, it becomes extremely scary that you are terrified and um, really nervous about what you're thinking or what you're doing, or the second thing is that you find a great comfort in this message. Just like in 40 verse 1, it says God wants to comfort his people with knowing how big he is. One, it could, it could make you terrified that um, whenever you think about your temptations, the, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you are uh, dealing with, the sin that resonates inside of you, maybe that terrifies you or, or makes you uh, feel awkward that God knows what you're dealing with, but yet if you see that God is bigger than that and you trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, actually that's comfort that knowing that God knows that, yet he still loves you. Or maybe, maybe it's your secrets. Maybe it's something that no one else knows about you in your life. A secret that you've been able to hold on to that no one else has ever heard of or a select people and you would be so embarrassed that anyone ever would find out about this. Maybe that scares you that God knows that. And you're kind of ashamed to go anywhere near him, uh, to, to, to go before God because he knows your deepest and darkest secrets. Yet, if you find that God is your God and that God is bigger than anything else and you, you submit to him that way, then really this is comfort knowing that God knows that about you and yet he still deeply wants a relationship with you. This can be a, a message of comfort, not a message of, of fear or anything like that, that he, he sees your, what, what you're most deeply ashamed of and he wants to sympathize with you and he wants to give you that comfort. Comfort. I think that's really the great story of the cross, right? I mean, uh, what, what we're, our faith is built on and we're going to get into, uh, in, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, focusing specifically on the cross. And so I don't want to take anything away from that, but yet um, I think every message really needs to be focused on the cross and, and what that means to us and, and the salvation that we find in that. And so really I think the cross is the greatest example of God being bigger than anything else. That not only uh, does he free you from the future, that, that you can be someone else, that you don't have to be that person. That you can be, um, you, not only do you have hope for tomorrow, that you can be living a life for God, but you have a hope for eternity. But also God is so much bigger that he takes away from your past, right? That all those things that you are ashamed of, that all, all the things that you're guilty of, God wipes that away and says, that doesn't have to be your identity. That's not to say that, that, 
that it doesn't influence you or it doesn't impact you. It doesn't um, uh, change the way that you, you know, your life, the trajectory that it goes. But it is to say that those things that um, are resonating deep inside of you, that you're ashamed of, that you're, that you're guilty of, that you're dealing with, the, whatever it is, that those things don't have to be what define you because at the point of the cross, now you become new and you can, you can be living a new life and those things don't have to, I, you don't have to be identified by, by those things. I don't have to be identified by caring what other people think about me because really there's so much greater things that I can be identified uh, and I can find my identity in what Christ says I am. And that's just a son of the living God, the God that is mighty and he is the creator of heaven and earth. I think an amazing uh, story that we see that really represents this is the story of Rahab. Rahab was a woman that lived in Jericho and Jericho was this place that Israel was going to conquer. Israel was going to go take this place and, and they go up and, and this woman named Rahab is a prostitute there. And some spies from Israel go into her house and some, uh, some guards from, from Jericho are running around trying to find these spies and they run into, into Rahab's house and they ask her, can we hide here? And she says, yeah, yeah, you can run up to my roof. And she hides these, these spies. And so she's putting her life on the line because these guards come up to her house and they walk inside and they say, where are those spies at? We know they came to your house. And she said, yeah, they did, but uh, they ran out and now they're going back to their camp. And so you better go chase after them. So she puts her life on the line because... What she says next, and I think it's so huge, she comes back up to the spies and she says, you know, I've heard, I've heard about how amazing your God is. I've heard about how powerful your God is. I've heard about how he uh, split the sea and how you guys left Egypt by God splitting the sea and how your God has given you um, dominion over this land that, that there's no way that any other nations can stop you, that, that you have conquered amazing nations, that your God is unstoppable. I've heard about how amazing your God is, and this is really why I saved you, because I would ask you that you would let me to be a part of your people, that I would become um, a follower of God, that I would become an Israelite. She was a prostitute, hiding from guards that would have killed her. Really, I think that shows something really, really important, and that is that she, was, she didn't care about um, potentially being killed by those guards. She didn't care about maybe the, the rejection that she might come into Israel as a prostitute, as somebody that wasn't an Israelite in the first place, right? The social rejection, the, the guilt and the shame of, of her past. She didn't care about that. She didn't care about the potential um, threat on her life from the guards, which she cared most about. She saw as so much bigger was the power of God that she would have faced otherwise. To her, God was the biggest thing in her life. God was greater than any other problem that she would have been facing. So she completely submitted to God. We see the power of God in Rahab, she saw how big God was. I think the second comfort really that God uh, shows us is not only that he's so big, but yet he's so intimately caring about us. I think this is a question that maybe we have to face sometimes because if he's so huge, if he really can uh, measure the, the, the span of the cosmos with his pinky and his thumb, then why in the world would he care about someone like me? Right? If he is so huge... Why in the world would he care about any of us? It's a question that people might ask. Why, if God is so big, why would he care? And I think we find here in this passage that not only is he huge and incomprehensibly large, he's bigger than we could ever imagine, but he 
cares so deeply about every single one of us. We read in verse 12 what we were just looking at, that uh, he does handle the oceans in his palm, but he also articula- he's so articulate to where he can, uh, he can acknowledge every single speck of dust. Because I think the aspect that God is the creator of heaven and earth, God cares deeply about everything that he's ever created. He is big enough to create everything, yet he still cares so deeply about everything that he has created. If we keep reading in, in the chapter, verse 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, meaning, meaning the nation of Israel, and why do you speak, O Israel, saying, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my rights? They're disregarded by God. Have you not known? Have you not heard that God is the everlasting God, the creator of the earths to the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Everything is small to God. But nothing is small enough to be um, unimportant to him. He cares so deeply about every single thing that we go through. All the, the issues that we have, they might be like drops on the side of a bucket to him, but he cares so deeply about every single one of them. We see that so richly in the story of Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, this person that God, uh, that, that Jesus knew personally, that Jesus had a relationship with Lazarus, he found out that, that Lazarus um, had become ill and he had died. And he says to his disciples, oh, I have to go, I have to go raise Lazarus from the dead. As if it was just nothing. I mean, he just tells his disciples, we're going to go do that. Because God is so much bigger than death. God is bigger than anything that we could ever face, even the inevitable. Yet when he goes there and he sees Lazarus dead, and he sees Lazarus' sisters crying, and other Jews that have gathered around that, that place, they're all crying. Jesus is so deeply moved that he starts crying too. He knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Why in the world would he cry? Like he, he, He'll be celebrating in about five seconds. Once he just touches Lazarus, brings him back to life. Why is he crying? Because he cares so deeply that they care. He cares with us. Not only is he bigger than we could ever imagine, but he cares so deeply for the things that we care about and the things that are scary, the things that we're going through, the anxieties that we have, the things that we might feel are ruling our lives, that are having a grip on our life and making that maybe that's the bigger thing in our lives. They're so small to God, yet he cares so deeply that he wants to be there with us. What an amazing comfort that both God is big and he's also a caring God. This was uh, the, the situation for Israel when we're looking at Isaiah chapter 40. He's bigger than their pains. He's bigger than their worries that uh, they had no hope. He says, no problem. I, can, I, can, I will give you hope and I will give you, uh, you will be a people group again. He was bigger than their problems, yet he cared so deeply about it. The same is true for us. God loves to create testimonies that only God can do. This is something that I want to finish on here, but it's something so true that we really have to see that God loves testimonies that only God can do. There is no way that Israel could have ever gotten out from the oppression of Babylon without the power of God, that it's unheard of that Israel could ever 
be a nation again after being oppressed by such a huge and powerful nation like Babylon. And this makes the testimony that they became a people group still, that they were able to go back to where they were from and they were able to rebuild. That's a testimony to how great and powerful God is. God loves to create testimonies that only God can do. And the same is true today. Maybe you have a past that is bigger and scarier than anything else you can think of, that, that you are so deeply embarrassed, ashamed of your past maybe, that, that you don't like to think about it, that you feel like there, there's no way that you can come back from the past that you've had or this sin that you're living in that you're so deeply um, embarrassed by that you don't want to talk about, that you're ashamed of, you're, you feel, the, you feel the, the weight of the guilt that whatever it is, how amazing that God is bigger than that and he can bring you from that point to to living for him. And what a testimony that only God can bring that, that change. That only God can bring that redemption. Yeah, maybe you, you might be here today and you might say, yeah, no, actually, I, I've never had a, I, I don't have any of those deep, dark sins or I don't have a past that was traumatic. I don't have anything that I'm really trying to uh, work through. I don't, think the true, I don't think that's any less true for us that every single one of us are testimonies of what only God can do that all of us are fallen. All of us are living in sin. All of us desperately need God. And so any of us that have communion with God, any of us that have an eternal relationship with God, that is a testimony to what only a powerful God, the God that we read in the Bible, can do. That none of us can ever have relationship with God. None of us can have eternal salvation without God. And so really, we are all testimony, testaments, whether you have a past that you hate to talk about, that you're embarrassed about, that you're currently struggling with right now, or you're like, no, actually, I'm fine. All of us, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, are testimonies to what only a powerful God, a God that is bigger than anything else you're facing, can do. But really, we have to answer the question, how big are we allowing God to be in our life? Are we allowing God to be that big, to be our Lord and Savior? That you can come to rest and you can come to peace, that you're not building up all that guilt, all that shame, whatever it is that you're dealing with, that you're not wrestling with that, but you're able to put that on God and say, God, I believe that you are bigger than that, that that isn't what's going to rule my life, but really you are the God that can handle that because you can hold all the water in your hand and you can measure the width of the cosmos with your hand. I trust that you're so much bigger than what I'm struggling with right now. I trust that you're bigger than that past that I'm so ashamed of. I trust that you're bigger than what I'm currently wrapped up in. I believe that you're so much bigger than that. Are you saying that? Are you allowing God to be the God that he promises he'll be, that whenever you put our hope in him, that he can take away all that? Are we letting God be the big God that he is? Do we trust that what you're dealing with is simply just a drop on the side of the bucket to God? It might be huge to us. Israel, they, they seriously felt like there was no hope for them. Yet to God, he said, Trust me, that's a, that's a drop on the side of the bucket. And I want to comfort you that there's no way that that's going to ever be any. God didn't gasp. God didn't step back. And what in the world am I going to do? God said, that's a drop on the side of the bucket. Put your trust in me. Put your hope in me. Put your worries on me and I'll take care of it. Are we allowing God to take the things that we're dealing with, that you're struggling with, and just letting it be a drop on the side of the bucket to God? And really, I think that, is what it means to say that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of everything. 
a creator of heaven and earth. That's to say that you believe in a big God. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the EC family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.